The gospel lesson comes from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 21, verses 5 through 36. And while some, that would be of Jesus' disciples, and while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear saints, 
we should be hopeful. This world is a messed up place. There are wars. People do awful things to other people. There are natural disasters. We have earthquakes and fires and floods and famines and blizzards. And I know Jesus didn't say anything about blizzards in this passage, but if he lived in North Dakota, I think he would have. Whether it's an attack from other people or even from nature itself, this world seems bent on destroying itself. And Christians should be hopeful. We should be joyful. And we should look to the sky with optimistic expectations. This is one of the many things in the Christian faith that seems kind of backward. Why would we be joyful in the midst of evil? Now, let's be clear. We are not joyful because of the evil, but we are joyful in spite of evil. Evil reminds us where to look for hope. We look to Christ. We wait for his return, and this is our joy. When we see evil and destruction around us, we acknowledge that these things are bad. We weep over loss and death. We mourn for others who suffer, and we bring comfort wherever we can. And we should work to oppose evil wherever we have the opportunity. But we should not be surprised, and we should be hopeful in the face of suffering, because it reminds us that something better is coming. Jesus says, and I think this could be the theme verse in the entire Bible for all of the teaching on the end times. Jesus says, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. This conversation takes place during Holy Week. Within just a few days of this, Jesus will be hanging dead on a cross. Then he will be laid in a tomb and early on the third day, he will step out of that tomb alive. But in the days leading up to his crucifixion, Jesus spends much of his time teaching. And some of that teaching kind of angered the Pharisees and the scribes, which helped bring about Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. But this passage where Jesus teaches about persecution, the destruction of Jerusalem, and his return is really just for the disciples. This is a conversation that begins as Jesus is leaving the temple with his disciples. And then most of it continues on the Mount of Olives, which was just across the valley from the Temple Mount. And so Jesus and his disciples, as they're sitting there, they can see the temple across the valley as he teaches them these things. And it's important for us to remember that this takes place during Holy Week. Jesus, he doesn't say anything about his death and resurrection in this passage, but we want to consider it in the context of when he said it. It's foundational to everything that he teaches here. And so remember the historical context, and that will help us understand the significance of the events Jesus talks about. It starts with some of his disciples noticing the great stones and the costly offerings the temple was built with. And it's kind of funny that Jesus doesn't seem very impressed by it. And so as Jesus and his disciples, they're talking about this, they could see the temple transforming before their very eyes into a glorious and very expensive building. So it was kind of a thing for, for the Jews, especially the ones that lived up in Galilee and didn't go to Jerusalem all the time. Like every, every year when they'd come for the Passover or other times in the year for a different feast, see a little bit more of the transformation of the temple as it grew in its glory. And so they were excited about this and the disciples commented on it. And it's during the middle of this conversation <laughs> talking about the glory of the temple, that Jesus says to his disciples, 
the days will come when there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now imagine if when this building was being built in the 80s and, uh, and, and the, the members here and the people are talking about, wow, this looks so great. If somebody was just kind of a downer and said, yeah, it's all going to get torn down someday anyway. That would be kind of a bummer. But that's exactly what Jesus does. But on a greater scale, talking about the temple. Before the temple is even finished, Jesus prophesies its utter destruction. Now, his disciples, they associate the destruction of the temple with the end of the world. And I suppose they just can't imagine a world without a temple. This is the center of their worship. Surely, God would not allow such a thing to happen before the end of the world. But Jesus can imagine a world without a temple, and he knows it's going to happen, and he doesn't seem bothered by it because the temple is becoming obsolete. This is one of the things that the context of Holy Week reminds us of. The temple becomes obsolete with the death and resurrection of Jesus. In Old Testament worship, the temple served two basic functions. One, it was the place where God dwelt among his people. And so the temple began to become obsolete with the incarnation and birth of Jesus. God now dwelt among his people in bodily form, in the body of Jesus. And this is much closer to his people than the temple ever was. The second function of the temple was that it was the place of sacrifice. And so the temple became completely obsolete when Jesus offered himself as the once-for-all sacrifice for sin. There was no longer any need for bulls and goats or birds or any such thing to be sacrificed. Therefore, the temple, this glorious building, became obsolete because its functions were all fulfilled in the body of Jesus. And so we see that the real purpose of the temple was to look forward to Jesus. And that's the real glory of the temple, that it got to do this. It got to be a prophetic picture or a shadow looking forward to Jesus. But then once the real temple came, that is Jesus, then that picture or that shadow is no longer necessary. And furthermore, it gets better. With Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit is given to all of his believing saints. And so God dwells intimately with his people now through his Holy Spirit. And for this reason, the church is often called in the New Testament both the body of Christ and the temple of God. And so it's not the the church building that I mean that is the temple of God, but the people. You and me and all of God's saints around the world are living stones, which God is building into a spiritual house. Jesus is the true temple of God and his church in a mystical and spiritual way, since we are his body, are also called that same temple. God dwells among us. And so Jesus, he could imagine a world without the old temple because it was becoming obsolete. But the disciples had a hard time imagining this, and so they associated the destruction of the temple with the end of the world. In a way, they were sort of right, because the end times are not some distant time off in the future. We should never think of it that way. We're living in the end times right now. We have been ever since the death and resurrection of Jesus, because that was the establishment of his kingdom on earth. And so as Jesus tells his disciples the signs of the end, 
we can see that some of those things were fulfilled within their lifetime, and some of it is still off in the future for us. So we'll consider the signs Jesus gives, but first Jesus gives a warning. He says, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. Before Jesus even tells us what to look for, he tells us what to watch out for. There will be false Christs and false teachers. We are not to believe them. Believers should be skeptics. A believer of the truth is an unbeliever of everything false. And so it is okay, even necessary, for Christians to be skeptical of many things. Some will claim to be Jesus himself. We should not believe them. So far, everyone who has made this claim has been wrong. There will probably be more, and they will also be wrong. When Jesus does return, there will be angels and trumpets. Everyone will see him for who he is. He won't have to convince anyone of his identity. And this is one of the things that we notice in this passage, what, what Jesus says. Even unbelievers will know exactly who he is. And so whenever someone claims to be the Christ, we automatically know that he's wrong. Others will claim to know the time. People are constantly trying to figure this out. So far, they have all been wrong, and they will continue to be wrong because no one knows the day or the hour except God alone. As soon as someone claims to know the time, that is our sign that this person is a false prophet. We should not listen to them regarding the end times. In fact, we should not listen to them regarding anything. There are other faithful teachers of God's word in the world, and we don't have to try to sort through what might be true and what might be false from someone who's already proven themselves to be false. And so this is Jesus' warning. See that you are not led astray. There will be false teachers. Be careful. Know the scriptures. Know what Jesus says. Know what his apostles say. Beware of anyone who teaches contrary. Beware of anyone who goes beyond what they say. Beware of anyone who claims to have cracked some kind of code. Before Jesus gives us the signs, he gives us the warning. See that you are not led astray. And then there are three basic events that Jesus goes on to describe. The first event, persecution. This comes before the destruction of the temple and before the wars and the natural disasters. The persecution Jesus speaks of here, it seems to be directed primarily at his disciples, that is the 12 apostles, though we still see this persecution uh, continuing and even accelerating in the world today. But he tells the apostles that they will be delivered up to synagogues and prisons and they will br be brought before kings and governors. And so that's the little silver lining here. This is going to be their opportunity to testify before kings and governors. And this part especially applies to the apostles because they were eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Jesus isn't talking about, about us sharing our personal testimonies. He's talking about legal testimony. His apostles would testify in open royal courts that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's the silver lining here, or maybe we should call that a gold lining. It's kind of a big deal. And Jesus promised them that they need not worry, nor even think about what to say in the courtroom, because Jesus would give them the words to speak, and no one would be able to contradict them. The saddest part of the persecution, though, 
is that they would be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And this kind of persecution we've seen continue throughout the entire history of the church. Some of them would even be put to death. But in the midst of that, Jesus makes this gracious and glorious promise. Not a head of your hair shall perish. Even if they kill you because of your Christian faith, not a head of your hair shall perish. And that is because of the promise of the resurrection of the dead. For the saints of God in Jesus Christ, death is merely sleep. No one can take anything from one of God's elect that he will not give back with much more in the resurrection of the dead. And then the second event that Jesus describes is the destruction of Jerusalem. And this gets at the disciples' initial question about the temple. Jesus warns his disciples that when Jerusalem is surrounded by armies, that they should flee. Now, this is actually the opposite of what a lot of people often did in the ancient world when armies came against their cities. Because cities, they're like fortresses. If you stayed in the open country, then the foreign army, they would do some bad things to you. So everyone would rush into the city and prepare for the siege. That's only a good idea if your city survives the siege. But Jesus knew that Jerusalem would not. And so he tells his disciples to do the opposite. If you're in Jerusalem, get out. If you're in the open country, don't go back to the city. Flee to the mountains. Because it wasn't just the temple that would be destroyed, but the entire city. In this prophecy of Jesus, it came to pass in 70 AD, less than 40 years after Jesus tells them about this, uh, and only six years after the temple renovation was completed. It was a complete and brutal destruction. The third event Jesus describes, and this is the big one, is his own return. This occurs after the times uh, of what Jesus calls the Gentiles are fulfilled. And the word Gentiles can also be translated as Nations. I think that's actually a clearer translation. It captures the, the purpose of this time a little bit better. It's a time of repentance for the entire world, where God calls people of all nations to believe in Jesus and be saved, because God desires for all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And this is the time that we're living in now. No one knows how long this time will be, but it will be exactly how long God intends it to be. It's a time of harvest, as God's word is going out to all the world to call all people to faith in Jesus Christ. And when this time of the nations is completed, then there will be signs in the sky and on the earth and in the sea. And these signs will be so terrifying that people will faint with fear. And then we will see the Son of Man, that is Jesus, coming in a cloud with power and great glory. For some, for unbelievers, this will be the most terrifying sight of all because it will mean great judgment. But for Jesus' disciples, it means redemption. And so Jesus says, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. When it seems that this world cannot get any worse, when it's falling apart, when others are fainting with fear, you stand tall and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. In his letter to the Romans, Paul calls this 
the redemption of our bodies. Because this is when Jesus will raise and transform us. Christ has already redeemed us from sin by his death and resurrection. We still suffer the effects of sin. We still experience evil in our own bodies. We get sick and we die. And we see it in the world around us every day. This world is still a messed up place. And it will be for as long as it exists. And that is why we are waiting for the return of Jesus. The resurrection of the dead. The redemption of our bodies the new creation, and everlasting life in that new creation. We are living in the last days now. We do not know how close we are to the very end. Perhaps the evil in the world today is the limit that God will allow before the end. Perhaps it will get much worse. Today could be the day that Jesus releases us from the curse, or it may be another thousand years. We don't know. But we do know this. Whatever the wait is, whatever the suffering we go through as we wait, it's worth it. Whatever it may be, it is worth it because he is coming. So straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Amen. And he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And so we pray, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen.